We're starting the Parshas Bo this week. So we all know that there's ten plagues. Right? There's ten plagues. Now, the way the ten plagues are broken up, we have seven in last week's Parsha. We have seven in the portion of Vaira. And we have three in the portion of Bo. Okay? So the final three are here. In the middle we have the, um, you know, the, the, the break of the Parsha. So it's not all in one Parsha. The mystics try to connect this also, you know, in the uh, in the Kabbalah we have the ten Sfirot, the ten uh, uh, levels uh, of Chachma, Bina, Dat, and over there the way they're categorized is categorized in three and seven also, because the emotions, you know, are seven emotions, and there's three intellect, and the um, plagues sort of correspond to the ten sfirot, you know, the we have in holy side, and then we have the opposite side, and so we have the um, and we have it broken up that way in seven and three, seven in in in, in the portion of of Aaron and three in Bo. I think that the, the beginning of this week's parsha is very fascinating because you know when something repeats itself ten times. So, like the ten plagues, right? So you would expect to have a almost symmetrical, you know, the same thing happened, you know, one had happened, two happened, the same thing, and three happened, and four and five, you would expect it to just follow one or the other, to just count them out. And uh, the interesting thing is that in each one of the plagues, you know, you find details which are not in the other ones, you know, and, and you know, specifics and and then you wonder, you know, why is it mentioned over here? Why is it mentioned over there? How actually did it take place? You know, it's not clear. It's not clear exactly, you know, some of it. So I think today we'll see, very interesting, you know, when we learn the parasha, we'll see certain things that happened at this particular plague. Again, this is plague number seven. And I think today we're going to try to address, you know, some of the things that took place uh, in this particular uh, Maka, this particular plague, versus what took place uh, before and afterwards. Alright, so why don't we start? Maybe we start with Sarah, we start with you. Why don't we start with the first verse? Okay? Uh, okay. The Lord said to Moshe, Come to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, in order that I may place these signs of mine in his midst. Okay, so let's just say these words again. So the Lord said to Moses, Come to Pharaoh. Now, first thing I want to just say, what is the meaning of the word come to Pharaoh? Shouldn't it say go to Pharaoh? But what's the Hebrew for here? It's bo. So it's, uh, according to some, the meaning over here is, boy, come, come along with me. God is sort of saying, you're not going along, come. Let's go to Pharaoh. So it's sort of, this is the way. So it's not only going to Pharaoh, but it's come to Pharaoh. Matter of fact, the word bo el Pharaoh it's not the first time. We have it a couple of times God saying to Moses before in the previous portion, Boel Paro, also sometimes there's Lechel Paro, but we do find the language of come to Paro before in the previous Marcus. But what is surprising in this verse over here, because we don't find in the verse God really telling him anything. In this verse there is no, there is nothing that God is telling to Pharaoh. Read, read the verse again. 
What does it say? What does it say over here? Read the verse again, Sarah, number one. Yeah. The Lord said to Moses, Come to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. What does for mean? Because, right? He's giving you the reason now. For I've hardened his heart. Okay, we'll talk about it a little more, right? In the heart of his servants. Right. In order that I may place these signs of mine in his midst. Okay, say number two now. And in order that you tell into the ears of your son and your son's son how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and that you tell of my signs that I placed in them, and you will know that I am the Lord. Okay, now do three, we're going to go back. We'll do three, what does it say there? So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said to him... Stop here, right here. Okay, did you see anywhere in the verse before, in verse number one and verse number two, God saying anything to, 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 to say to Pharaoh? All what you see is it says... God says to Moses, come to Pharaoh. Then he's giving you a reason why you should go to Pharaoh. We'll deal with that in a minute. Whether that's a good reason or not a good reason. But in the verse 1 and verse 2, that this is God's command to Moses, we don't see that God is telling him to say anything to Moses. We just say God says to him to come to Moses, gives him the reason why he should go to Moses, but he doesn't tell him what to tell him. Only in verse 3, so Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh and said to him, so said the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, and they will worship me, right? So now he's quoting God, but we don't see that God saying to him in his, the verse over there, right? Now, generally speaking, we know, the verses are not duplicating itself. In other words, a lot of times we find God saying something to Moses, Okay? And then we don't find Moses repeating those words that God told him to say. God would say to Moses, go and speak to the children of Israel, such and such. Then later on when you read in the verse, it doesn't say that Moses said such and such to Israel. That doesn't mean that Moshe didn't say that, just because the verse doesn't say it. It just means that the Torah did not particularly specify every single detail of what it took place, right? Likewise, the other way around. If we find later on in a verse that Moses is saying, well, so said God, right? Even though in the previous verse, when we read God saying to Moses, we don't see that God said to Moses uh, uh, what he is being quoted as having said. Like in verse 3 over here, where it's saying that Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and they said to him, so said God, but... In the beginning, in verse 1, where God is telling Moses, we don't see God saying that to him. That doesn't mean that God didn't say that to him. It just means that the verse did not articulate it. It didn't specify, it didn't say everything that God said at that encounter to Moses. Right? And that's why... Oh, okay. So, and the Torah is full with examples like that. I mean, it's all over the Chumash. We'll find that he doesn't repeat that it happened and he repeats. Sometimes it'll be in the first... Eliezer and and the tribes and you know and other yeah, times yeah, you know where it does say yes and we need a reason and it goes nuts and not only that but as I pointed out right before you came in I pointed out is that one would expect that you know uh, uh, the plagues are each one is described a little differently the procedures are changed the the, the happening the responses yes and there's always and you know when you come like to the to the gifts of the Nassim, of the leaders. 
So over there, you know, it's just repeated verse for verse, you know, just so symmetrical, identical, everything comes, follows exactly. Okay, so, over here, Rashi makes a point of saying, right in the beginning, on verse 1, Rashi makes a, a point of saying that when Hashem says to Moshe, even though it just has come to Pharaoh, but Rashi says, and warn him. Okay, Rashi says that that he didn't just tell him to come to Pharaoh. Somebody can assume that God just told him to come to Pharaoh, just show up to Pharaoh's house. And what is he going to do there? He's just going to stand there. He's going to do nothing. What is he going to do? He doesn't say anything. So Rashi translates to you, Rashi tells you right in the beginning, that Hashem says to him, meaning that you should warn him. God is sending Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu to warn him. How does Rashi know that God sent Moshe Rabbeinu to warn him? That he, that he was supposed to warn Pharaoh? Because we see in the verse 3, you just were saying it, that Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and they told him, so said God, right? They didn't make it up. So it must mean that God told them before to go ahead and warn him, right? So therefore, that's what Rashi comments over there. Okay, we'll, we're going to get back to this, but I want to discuss for a minute, what does it mean when you warn somebody? What is the definition of you warning somebody? When you give somebody a warning, what does is, what is warning by definition mean? It means that you're basically telling the person... There's a consequence. First of all, he has an option of doing do it or this, not. This or that. This or that. You're warning him, saying, don't do this. And then you give him a consequence. Right. Right. If, if you're going to do happens, it, then this, this will happen. And if the other way, something else happens. That's right. That means, that's the warning. That is the meaning of a warning. Right. Like we see... And I want to go to verse 3 again. Maybe I'm going to ask Sina, read verse 3 for me, and just to see the verse. So Moshe and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said to him, So said the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, and they will worship me. Now do verse 4. For if you refuse to let them go, behold, tomorrow I am going to bring locusts into your borders. Now, read again the verse 4. For if... You refuse. If you refuse, that means it's a question. We don't know. Right, so God is basically, it's an option. That means a warning. A warning means I'm warning you that if you refuse. Now, before I want to go further, I just want to make something clear that Rashi already quoted in the beginning of, right in the beginning of the Makazdam. Rashi says, Rashi has a question over there because the verse states over there that God will harden the Pharaoh. So did he have free will now? Okay, so Rashi asks a question. As God says, I'm going to punish him for, for hardening his heart, and, and I'm going to smite him. So Rashi wants to know, over there earlier, Rashi, now how could you right. punish somebody when God says that I'm going to make his heart heavy? So it turns out that the person really doesn't have a choice in what he's doing. So how could you beat up on somebody? How could you punish somebody if the person doesn't have a choice? God is saying, I'm going to harden your heart. And then God is saying, I'm going to punish you. This is Rashi right in the beginning, before even he started with the plagues. And Rashi says, over there, that sometimes taking away the person's choice is part of the punishment. Right. That, in other words, if a person has uh, committed uh, a sin... Sometimes they're punished by not allowing them later on to to repent. And Rashi says over there, because that 
God knew that. Here, I brought a sheet here so we can all follow the same chumash. That's going to help. Because Rashi, because and one Iran, if you want one, or you have one of you can use this one. Because God knows that He is um, not going to completely repent, anyways, and. God doesn't have any pleasure, pleasant that Rashi quotes over there from what they're going to do, and therefore God took away the choice. So, in other words, what it really means is he's not being punished for his refusal right now, because that's not up to him. He's being punished for what he's already done, for his rebellions, for his evil, for the things that he's already done. You know, take for example, in this case, Pharaoh. Pharaoh has murdered and has tortured and has done a terrible atrocities. We don't need an excuse for Paro and his people who, who are all participants and, and collaborators for them to be punished. We don't really need an excuse. They have done totally on their own. That has nothing to do with God getting involved and making their hearts heavy or everything else. At this point already, they were already done more than, than, they, than they, they deserve a lot more than any punishment that, that is going to be given to them. However, in the process, how it played itself out, God hardened their heart, and then as God gave them the the option, God. Oh, well, we're going to talk a little bit. Is there an option or not? Okay, that's a very good point. But we're going to talk about this in a minute. You know what? That's on a deeper level. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But the question. But but Rashi says, I just want to point out that the Rebbe points out that Rashi uses two languages with regards to um, to Moses coming to Pharaoh and telling him about what is to take place. Rashi uses one language which he uses is to testify, and there's another language that Rashi uses, that's before, is to warn. Rashi uses two languages, to testify and to warn. But before I explain what I mean by Tesla and the Warren, I want to just say this. Rashi Obadir concludes and says that still, despite the fact that Hashem said that he'll make his heart heavy, Pharaoh didn't need the extra help of God to make his heart heavy. Rashi says if you look at the first five plagues, you don't find the verse stating that God made his heart heavy. That means that Pharaoh on his own had, did it himself. He didn't need God. He didn't need God's help to refuse. I mean, he was totally that was his choice to do that. It is only by the it is only by the seventh plague, by the starting with the sixth plague, where God with the with the language is used by Chazek Hashem as that God hardens. So Rashi sort of says up to the fifth plague. Pharaoh was refusing them on his own. Starting with the sixth plague over there, he needed some help from God, sort of to harden his heart that he shouldn't want to send them out. And it's interesting, if you look in the plague number seven, after the plague number seven, again it doesn't say in the verse that God hardened his heart. It actually says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But I guess the understanding is, even though in that, from that point on, my understanding from the reading of the Rashi is that, from the first case, that even though the verse no longer states explicitly that God hardened his heart, but once the sixth plague 
has come, he already from that point on, God ha- made his heart heavy. So although it says that his heart became heavy, it doesn't mean on its own. It's all through uh, the work of Hashem who, who made his heart heavy. But regardless of, of, of that point, there's two things. There's Pharaoh came, uh, Moshe came to testify and he came to warn. What does it mean when you testify? When you usually when people testify, they testify about something that happened in the past. When you bring in a witness, when you bear witness to something, right? You bear witness. You're testifying about something that has already happened. Why can't you testify about something of the future? Why do we testify? You can't testify about something in the future. Why? Because it hasn't happened. And you don't know that it's going to happen. That's right. But if conceivably we can know something is going to happen, we can testify about it. Okay? Now, how could you know if something is going to happen or not? to the future? Yeah, if you can testify. You can testify and say... Like a baby's going to be born, for example? If you know that that's going to happen. Maybe that's not going to happen. But if you know that something... How do you know anything is going to happen? Okay, so in our case, let's just study it. In our case, there were certain things that Pyro has already done. Okay? When Moses came to Pharaoh with the first, very first plague, with the plague of blood, right? The verse doesn't say that God asked, Moses came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, if you don't let them go, I'm going to give you uh, the the, the punishment of the plague. Over there the verse says, because you had refused in the past to go ahead and let them go, I'm going to give you a plague, in other words. Doesn't it carry over from when he was making the bricks? Remember when he first, the first time he came to Pharaoh, he said, let my people go, and right. Pharaoh said, oh, you have so much time, you know, that right, 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 so, so that, then he, that was like afterwards, then he turns it into blood, like he went down to the river to see him, but he had already asked him to let the people go. That's true. Okay, so, but I'm, what I'm saying, when he comes in, when he, before he tells him, when, 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 when Moses comes to Pharaoh and he tells him about the plague of blood, in the verse, if you read in the Chumash, it doesn't say that he's telling Pharaoh, let my people go or else I'm going to plague you. He asked them before. At that particular time, he's just telling Pharaoh what is going to take place. Why does he need to tell Pharaoh what is going to take place? Just so Pharaoh will know that he did it. Not and know that that's a punishment. Right. Because if it just happens, all of a sudden it turns to blood, then maybe it just happened, maybe it's an occurrence. So he wants to connect the dots. He wants to tell them, look, because you are not listening to God, and because you have done such bad things, I, you're going to be punished. But in the beginning, didn't they, so, the Egyptian people, the magicians also do that? That's fine. Let's do that. But, okay, one second. Let's, let's, one, one second. But let's just... They did. They, they, they tried him there. But I'm just saying. So what, what I'm trying to bring out the point here is, that's not called a warning. That's not called that Moses warned Pharaoh, because Moses didn't warn Pharaoh, because in that case, the blood, he testified. He told Pharaoh, he testified, he gave him testimony, he said to Pharaoh, he said, I'm testifying to you now that you should know that you are going to get a plague of blood for the evil that you have done. And that's the end of it. That's called testimony. Another thing is called when he warns him. Those are the plagues, and some plagues, Moses says to Pharaoh, listen, if you don't listen, then you're going to be punished. So now he gives him a choice. 
right? And he says, well, you have a freedom of choice. You can either choose to listen or not to listen. But if you don't listen, you're going to get put. That's a warning. That's not a testimony. Why? Because you can't testify that the it's that it's going to happen because we don't know if it's going to happen. Because maybe it'll happen, maybe not. Maybe he's going to listen. So the thing is that in our verse over here, it says Hashem says to come to Pharaoh. What was it over here? Was it here a testimony? In our case, did he tell him that it's going to happen? That the locust is going to come? Because we're talking here about the plague of locusts. Did he tell him that the locust is going to come? Or did he warn him that if he doesn't let the people go, then the locust is going to come? So when we were reading in verse 4, that Sina just read, it says, For if you refuse to let them go, so God is saying to him, for if you refuse to let them go, so behold, tomorrow I am going to bring locusts into your borders. So God is basically warning him, and saying to him, you let my people go, if you don't let them go, then you are going to get the locusts. Right? That's what it says. Now, let's back up for a minute. In, first, in verse 1 that we started learning today. So God says to Moshe, go ahead Moshe, it doesn't say in the verse, what did you do? God just tells him, come, let's go to Paro, boil Paro. It doesn't say anything about what he should tell Paro, but we learn it out from because later on, he tells him, go warn Paro, we know, but that's what's taking place because we read it later on. Then he, Hashem tells him why he should go to Paro. Very surprising. We had seven plagues, in all the plagues before, it doesn't say anywhere why he should go to Paro. God sends him to Pharaoh, either to testify or to warn him, right? God doesn't give him any reasons. Not only that, on the next two plagues, after this one, we have the plague of Choshech, and God doesn't give him any reasons why he should go, right? God just sends him, and he goes, all of a sudden, now by the locusts, God has to explain to him. God says to him, key, you should know why I'm telling you to go, because I have, besides looking into what's, what's the reason of here. So first of all, we need to understand, why is all of a sudden God giving Moshe Rabbeinu reasons for going, which we don't find anywhere else. This is the only place we find for giving the reason. But then we have to look at what is the reason. What does it say in verse 1? God is saying to come to Pharaoh. Now, for I have hardened his heart. Would that be a reason that he should go or shouldn't go? It should be a reason he shouldn't go. Right. <laughs> and what's the point? And what's the point? God is saying, come to Pharaoh and warn him. Right? says, we know. What does he come to Pharaoh? He's going to warn him. Why? Because, you know, God is saying to him, because I have hardened his heart. If you harden his heart, so why, why go warn him? Then you make him out. And... But he, he's then at the end he goes, in order that I may place these signs of mine in his midst. That's right. So he's going to do something, but he's going to do it in such a way that, that it's not going to affect Pharaoh. He's going to be disturbed and everything, but he's not going to do anything about him, as he's not going to let the Jews go, because I Hashem has done, I mean, yeah, Hashem has done the answer before the question in a way. Okay, so the, the, the question is, is that a reason for going to him? Because... Yeah, because he still has to tell, in other words, otherwise, uh, maybe Pharaoh will just think it was a natural occurrence. The that's right. So the so the, so the so the 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 version say because I made his heart heavy. The thing is this: 
Some commentators before some commentators say explain, but it's very difficult to understand. Some explain that God was saying to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu sees that after already he was beaten with the previous uh, with the hail, uh, and he, it didn't really make sense to Moshe Rabbeinu anymore for Pharaoh to refuse it. It said it didn't it didn't make any sense. What? Pharaoh's people either. Yeah, and it actually we learn in the previous thing, we see Darden, that it says that Pharaoh sends to Moshe and he says to them, this time God is righteous, I my people are evil, uh, everything. Now all of a sudden after everything Pharaoh says, he still doesn't let them go. Oh, he says he would until it stopped hailing. And then it stopped. Okay, yeah. so well, Moshe Rabbeinu basically at this point, some commentaries say, that Moshe Rabbeinu at this point sort of set... To God, so what's the point? If you know, if everything going to him, you know, he's just not going to let them go anyway. So what's the point in going? And God basically says to them, says to him, no, no, don't think that he's not letting them go because he doesn't want to let them go. It's because I'm not letting him go. So how is that? But that, so, but that that answer is very hard to accept. So why is that a reason to go? So if okay, if so, the reason to go was was all about the warning then. Well, who are we trying to impress? Yes. No, I think it's the other way well, around. I think he's not Faro, obviously. He wanted to do more and more damage to Faro no. until there was nothing left. He like killed all the livestock. He put the hail. He got the locusts. So he, he could like, just do it. But what's the point? Country. What's the point in? What was the point in? Be the mill. Maybe he. <laughs> and, and why can't he just punish him without having to tell him? But that wasn't. <coughs> no, I'm fine. Well. The key to understand this is actually in the second verse. If you read the second verse, it says, And in order that you tell into the ears of your sons, and your sons' sons, that I made a mockery of the Egyptians. What is the meaning here? Hashem is saying, I made a mockery of the Egyptians. Yeah, God needs to make a mockery of the Egyptians. What is coming? If God is all like so powerful, He doesn't have to do anything. I mean, He can do everything or nothing. Who needs it, though? Okay, we know that me- that we know that God's punishment is usually measure for measure. Right. Okay. Pharaoh was very arrogantly uh, and very uh, defiantly, okay, not listening to Hashem, because when Moshe Rabbeinu comes and tells him, "Go, let my people go," Pharaoh's answer is he doesn't just say, "I'm not letting them go." He says, "Who is God that I need to listen to him?" That's the beginning. Yeah, that's the beginning. Well, he thought he was God himself. He made himself to a God. He thought a little bit it was God. He, he persuaded himself. He went other to sing that, yeah. He played the game. He'd go out to the bathroom in the morning so people think that he's a God. Okay, he played, no, he also, the, the verse says, he says, I own the river, you know, I made myself, he said. You know, he was very much, you know, starting to think very, uh, very arrogantly by himself. But it's not just that he thought about himself, but he was very defiant towards Hashem. In his response, he says, who is God that I need to listen to him, basically. So, God's purpose of this punishment is to show Pharaoh that Hashem is in control. Even about everything that He does, Hashem is in control. When Hashem says, you know, I made a mockery from them, from from the Egyptians, what Hashem is actually doing over here, He's pointing out how Pharaoh is totally not in control, even from Himself. But why? Did, what I understand is 
take the biggest kid in the school, right? Yeah. Beats up the littlest kid in the school. What does he prove? Do you know what I mean? Well, the thing is like this. It represents... Okay, it represents, in this case, it represents uh, the uh, banishment of the klipot. Uh, Pharaoh represents the three negative, uh, total negative uh, uh, klipot, which is mean the opposite side of holiness that oppose godliness. Beating them and beating pyro, beating negativity, is the process of subduing them and to turning them around and accomplishing in a way the entire uh, the entire purpose of of the exile. And as Ron has said, what Rashi says in the simple in the simple text that when God punishes the the um, the, the, the people or the, the the evil, and we see then that brings about. The 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 uh, the fear and the awe and also the respect and of course the Jews saw that there was justice being done you know all the time we don't see always a correlation we don't see the evil people getting punished the fact that the evil and that those that perceived those that tortured them at the end of the day were punished in this way was a very important lesson that helped all of humanity if you think about it because Yisroel comes yeah because he heard right. But not only that, but you know, if you really look at it at the broader picture, look at the world today. You know, if everybody, if nobody would will want to take a stand, and everybody would want to, you know, remain slaves and not to start up, and the powerful one would control, then the world would have been backwards many, many years. The purpose of the Torah, of the teachings, of these things is to tell you that eventually that as a nation that was enslaved against their will, and there was tyranny, and there was oppression, and he was in total control. It didn't seem that there was any way out. That evil has been defeated, and defeated, and through all the process. This gives the human, pe- the human beings that follow later on to get their inspiration from the Torah, to stand up against evil, to stand up against cruelty, to know that eventually, and when you look today, like in such a situation like in Haiti, right? Where you have so many people suffering, and then you have the world sort of trying to help. And and uh, by the way, Israel is doing very well over there too. But only Israel. Yeah, but the, but the general, the world is is. And you think about it, is where do you think the world was just a few hundred years ago? But I see, I see this just the opposite. Yeah. The people are enslaved. They weren't doing anything about it until Moshe came with the, with help from God. If if Hashem and Go- and Moses didn't Who's come. They? Didn't the people, the, the Jews, the people they were themselves. just, they were like protesting or rabble rousing or doing right. anything. They were just working day and night making right. Uh, right. bricks. I, I mean, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm saying if, if if the people, like maybe if they had done something, Hashem maybe would have helped them sooner. I don't know. He waited till they were at the lowest level, but they never did anything. I mean, it, like in Russia, the Jews had to get, I mean, I'm, believe me, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious, but the, like Hashem didn't come and help the Jews out of Russia or any other place. You know, the people kind of started protesting themselves. They were willing to get beat up and, you know, whatever it took to, to do it. No, I, I don't. I don't. I don't really think. God helps those who help. Right. I don't. I don't. I don't think that that is. I don't think that that is the case because the um, although they didn't have a, a an official quote unquote Moshe Rabbeinu, but there were people who no, stood up like Moshe Rabbeinu. People. One second. I agree. One second. 
And also, Hashem gave some of those people that you're saying, the rebel rousers or those who started uh, becoming refuseniks, they got inspired. But what inspired these people and what helped them get inspiration is the story of the Torah, is, the, is this, this, this history, this, this freedom, this looking about how things are going about, that gave people the courage. Those refuseniks, they went, I mean, most of them, they became religious or they learned the Hebrew language. They had a, a motivation to go ahead. And not only the Jewish people, I mean, all mankind, that's the purpose of the Torah, was to become the inspiring story for all the nations. Now, over here, we had an open, we had a king, and we had a Moshe Rabbeinu, and we had its process. At that time, the process had to come sort of from Hashem. It had to come directly in a story that we have the Torah. And that's why the Torah's, but the Torah's message is relevant to all of us. So, what I, all what I'm saying is, when you see Pharaoh getting plagued, when you see Pharaoh getting beaten up, it's not like the big boy is getting beaten up by the young kids. And just the opposite. What's happening is here, you have this tyrant over here who is in control, and for so many years he is in control, and he thinks that they can rule and do as they please. He's shown, the Torah tells us, that's not a lasting phenomenon. That's something which is going to go away pretty no, soon. So it's beating up on him. He's is, nothing. Though. What? I mean, in relative terms, he's nothing. It, but he's, he's nothing. But in, when, in people's lives that we are supposed to get inspiration, this nothing... People have been in in, 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 in in terrible situations, and they needed to get some way to take get out of there. We for those people, this was the whole the whole motivation that gave them courage, so and that gave them. God didn't want to make like a miracle, and maybe just kind of go into uh, Pharaoh's head and say, okay. Let the people go, and, and he would have. That would defy the whole purpose. The purpose was to go take evil, show you that there is evil there. But there is evil is not in control. And this mockery that God was making over here from Pharaoh was also an important thing to show that in essence there is nobody in control of the world but God. So on one hand, God is saying to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh himself says, okay, you know what, I really want to let them go. But on the other hand, he is not letting them go. So what does this mean? We're seeing clearly that even by something that you really want to do, you're also not in your own control. You are in the control of Hashem. Which tells us very strongly that any time when somebody thinks, yeah, I am so big, I am so powerful, I am so successful, I am untouchable, I am someone to me, you know, nobody can do anything to me because I am just like God, I'm mighty. Mr. Obama. Mr. Obama. (laughs) Yeah. But the end is, you see, God says to him, no, you're just a little toy in the hands of God, you're just a little toy. Mm -hmm. And this answers, you know, you, you have a different question. You know, you're asking, why does God need to make a mockery? I mean, okay, you know, big deal for God to make a mockery of him. But that serves the purpose of giving the message, giving the inspiration, well, no giving answer. the teaching of what's going on in this world. That don't get worried if you see a lot of times there's injustice. You know, we don't understand. We don't know why. Oh, I see. So the simple way would have been Hashem could have maybe just killed him or done whatever he wanted in a second. Yeah. But then it wouldn't have sent the real message that the people could see. 
what happened. And this whole process of becoming a nation, going through to Egypt, being oppressed, and then being taken out, it all shows on the life's history of the, of the people's history, of the Jewish people's history, but also of mankind's history. That it is within our power to free ourselves from that slavery. And we know that there is somebody higher and somebody more in control and somebody who can do it. But what I want to say is this. Hashem says to Pharaoh, He says to him, Go to, come to, Hashem says to Moshe, go to Pharaoh. Hashem gives him a reason. Hashem said, what is the reason? <coughs> Hashem's reason is, he says, yes, the reason I want you to come to Pharaoh is to show the paradox over here. Because Hashem said to him, I have hardened his heart, and I know he's not going to let you go. And I'm doing that because I want to give him these signs, and I want to make a mockery of him. And that's why I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to go to Pharaoh to show and to display the lack of authority that Pharaoh really has. For everybody to see, for the world to know, for it to be recorded in the Torah, for it to be the message and the inspiration that what? That the people have absolutely really no control without, within their own uh, desires that they want. They're still not a, not, a, not a free people. Now, Ron asked before a, um, a question. Did Pharaoh actually not have Okay, freedom of will. So it, it turns out, God is making a mockery of him. He's hardening his heart. And the question was, why did God say it, you know, in this particular place? Because we had once before where Hashem says to him, I'm hardening his heart. So there was one time that it's written before. God says, I made his heart hard. So after that one time where God says, I'm hardening Pharaoh's heart, Moshe Rabbein has a question, so what's the point in going if God makes his heart hard? And God is saying, that's precisely the point. I'm making his heart hard, and I can play the play, so to show that he's no control. That's the reason why I'm sending you to you. But is he really out of control? Is he really, doesn't he really have control? Or... So why is the verse saying later on, if you refuse, so well, just we're saying it's just a mockery. Now, we know it says that many times, you know, this, when we, we say this concept, if you think about it, we say God takes away the, the right or the opportunity from people to repent. You know, we can even take this down in our own lives, you know. A lot of times maybe we do something wrong, right? Okay? We, so sometimes we, it's easy for us to repent, let's say, right? But sometimes we do something so many times and we've done something wrong that, you know, it becomes hard. It becomes a, a matter of habit, right? Let's take, for example, a person who's gambling, right? Or somebody who's, who's doing an addiction, right? Now, are we going to say that a person who's addicted to something is at the same level, has the same freedom of choice like somebody who's not addicted to it? Of course, you're going to say no. You're going to say the guy, that means addicted. Addicted means that... Now, whose fault is it that he's addicted? He got himself addicted. In a way, doesn't he have a choice? The answer is, well, he may have taken away his own choice. You can say God took away his choice. But if a person does something so many times, or he puts himself in a situation, and then you say, oh, now he doesn't have the freedom of choice. He says, no, no, it's not that he doesn't have the freedom of choice. He had the freedom of choice. Maybe he takes it away from himself, the freedom of choice now. By the... Now, let's take over, we say, an addiction. Addiction is something that we can think of, which is something which a person 
finds very difficult to break, to break a habit or to break a, something that you were accustomed to, you find it so tempting, you find it so difficult, you, it's, it's very hard to, to overcome that addiction. So, are we going to say that a person who's addicted doesn't have no choice at all? No, we're not going to say that either. Listen. Well, that can't be because people stop doing that's it. That's right. People stop. It may be a lot harder. It may be a lot more difficult. Now, there could be on an endless amount of levels. Somebody could be sometimes so addicted to something that he can't even stop. You know, even if he wants, he can't stop. You know, a lot of people, it's very hard. You know, or it's very, very difficult. Or, or a lot of people don't want to stop. Now, when you say don't want to stop, when you say that sometimes they don't want to stop, is because they think it. The point that I'm just trying to make is, when we say God punishes Pyro, takes away his choice, for us to understand it, we can understand it in a way that sometimes we almost feel that we don't have a choice. And sometimes we feel that we have to do certain things, and at the end of the day, we may not have much of a choice, but we ourselves brought ourselves to that position where we almost don't have a choice. But the point what I want to say is that the Rebbe writes, writes in the Tanya that there are certain people that don't have an opportunity to do Teshuva. But he says it only means they don't have an opportunity to do Teshuva. But it doesn't mean that they cannot, it's impossible. If they push themselves real hard, they could still do Teshuva. Even those people that we say that ain't must speak in Be'yadu Lassus Teshuva. Eimah speaking in Hebrew means we don't provide them with the opportunity, we don't provide them with the easy access to teshuva, which maybe a normal person who didn't commit these sins would find it. But a person who has gone beyond a certain level, already we're not going to give him the opportunity to do teshuva. But it doesn't mean that he cannot. If he pushes... I don't know what you mean. It means he has to go extra special. He's like the addict. It's like, yeah, you it, can break away, but it's going to be an awful lot. Under normal conditions. Right. That's right. right. Or if it's you measure like it relative to other people, if you measure it. But they could still break away. And the same thing is really true with this case with Pharaoh. God hardened his heart. God hardened his heart. Think about it of a level of, of addiction. God took away his choice. doesn't mean he 100% took away this choice. It just meant that God... That's why he said that God made his heart heavy. It's not like just his lips said, uh, don't go, and his heart wanted to send them. God made his heart heavy. He didn't have a feeling to let them go. He, just, he couldn't get himself to let them go. But in the end of the day, based upon his record, or based upon the average person, we say, Pharaoh wasn't going to let them go. But we didn't take away all the choice. It still remained if you refuse to send them out because it's still up to you to refuse them in other words naturally you would go that way but you still have the ability and the Rebbe says very interesting the Rebbe says look this is actually why the Pasuk the verse doesn't state that go warn him because it would be ridiculous to go warn him for the verse to state go warn him which would mean uh, that he had a, you know, what do we mean go warn him? The verse would be contradictory if it said, come to power, go warn him, because that would imply. So really what the verse is saying to you, God is saying to you, listen, this is not even a warning really. In a way, he, I know what he's going to choose, and I know he's not going to let you go. And I'm doing it in Tamachim. That's the first thing. But God continues later on. Hashem says, you go tell him. If you still want to, you still have a choice there too. Even you and your level that you're standing right now, 
if you want to, if you want to change yourself around, you have the ability to change yourself around there here too. Okay, let's go further to verse. You can just go back to this sure. thing. So why did God let, like let the, the Egyptian uh, magicians do some of the plagues? Well, um, the, well not, not only a question, why did God let them to do the plagues? Um, the, God has bestowed certain abilities in order to keep a balance and to keep freedom of choice. God has given certain abilities also to the side of impurity, to the side that opposes holiness. Whenever it's basically to be freedom of choice, there needs to be two sides. So if Moshe Rabbeinu has powers of holiness, there's also, against it, there's powers of impurity, to a certain extent. And that's why after the Makkah, of, by the Makkah of Kinim, they couldn't do it anymore. It was too small for them. They gave up. That was it. Only two Makkahs they can do. But there's a certain level, at a certain level, they have to be given the opportunity just to keep things in a balanced way, and to keep the freedom of choice, and to keep God's system in but the way that God... But doesn't it make, like, like, when you turn the blood, the water, the blood, so then the Egyptians did it. So it makes like it's... Oh, uh, well, no, well, but one second. The, 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 again, that's, so his heart was hardened, like after the first five plagues, he found excuses, he found reasons, my people can do it too, right, right, right. or in the one case Rashi says, you're bringing in uh, straw into a place which is full with, with offer, in other words, you're bringing in sorcery, right, yeah. this whole land of Egypt is full with sorcery, you don't come and give us any new, any, any new insight over here, we know this quite well. But the, 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 the point here is that Hashem wants to show the... Uh, the even balance to a certain extent, and to give Pyro the opportunity to refuse. If you want to see, if you don't want to see God, and you don't want to uh, admit, is is still that a possibility too? And that made his heart heavy. Of course, that made. He said he found alternate uh, reasons. But you see, after the fifth Makkah already, you know, in other words, by the sixth and the seventh, which was in last week's portion, over there there was already some movement. You know, Pyro starts to. To, to negotiate, I mean, before also, but, but, but at this time, his mind right away, he yeah. changes his mind, but already he's, he's negotiating who's going, and you know, he's already starting. But even after the last plague, he changes his mind, changes right. after him. But I, I wanted to bring out, just to follow up this point, that's why I wanted to learn a few more verses, because you're going to see something very interesting in this verse, something unique that takes place in this plague. So why don't you start say, verse hey. Verse 5, which is the verse that talks about the actual plague, what's going to happen. We were just talking about warning and what, we didn't talk about the plague. So what is going to happen over here? What is he telling him? And they will obscure the view of the earth, and no one will be able to see the earth. And they will eat the surviving remnant, which remains for you from the hail, and they will eat all your trees that grow out of the field. Now there's a mention here of the hail, there's a mention of what was destroyed before, and he's telling them, if you don't send them out, everything else is going to go. Continue next verse. In your houses, in the houses of all your servants, in the houses of all the Egyptians will be fit, filled, which your fathers and your father's fathers did not see since the day that they were on the, on the earth until this day. Therewith he turned and left Pharaoh. So far, so good. You know, this is, so far, it fits somewhat the pattern that took place till now. He goes to Pharaoh, he warns him, he tells him. But look, something unique happens now, Ron. 
Why don't you read the Surah Look, Look now, there's verse 7 and 8. What does it say in verse 7 and 8? Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long will this one be a stumbling block to us? Let the people go, and they will worship their God. Don't you yet know that Egypt is lost? Okay, continue. Thereupon Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go worship the Lord your God. Who and who are going? Who is going? Now, what's, what's unique over here in this story is, in all the previous times, when Pharaoh conceded a little bit, you said before, when did that happen? After the plague. After it hit them. Not before. Here, number one, this is taking place before the plague actually took place. This was just the warning. Now, Moshe gave him just a warning. And he said to him, you're not going to do. Now, now, and the other thing you see... He probably started finally to believe uh, Moses what he was going to do. And, and what happens, look to the extent. In this case, Moses has already left Pharaoh. Bring him back. Ah, now he's bringing him back. Now, this is unique, this is strange, very different. But this all follows the pattern of the specialty as we started talking about before. This was the mockery that was going on. Because in this warning that Hashem warned him, not only didn't he let them go, but even in the desire to let him go, even in the process, already they're having an impact on him, right? It makes sense, there's movement over there. He's telling them, go, right? And, but at the end, what does he finish off? No, you still can't go. Sorry, why don't we do verse 8? Uh, verse 9. Moses said, with our youth and with our elders we will go, and with, with our sons and with our daughters, with our flocks and with our cattle we will go, for it is a festival of the Lord to us. And, you know, before God said to him, we have to go, that you should go and make a festivity for me. So he says, the festival we're going to go. Now, one thing that I was wondering... If they were such slaves, and at this point they didn't get yet anything, where do they have all this cattle from, and where do they have all the flock from? You know, I mean, it would seem that the Egyptians would have taken away their their stuff from them. Apparently, they still had; they made them work. They but had flocks because then when, when they had the uh, animal, I mean, the hail killed all the animals. I mean, they uh, had that plague to kill all the animals. It specifically says their animals weren't killed. That's right. Now, the same question is there too. I'm not only here. Yeah. But we see out throughout the Chumash, there must have been some throughout the people. throughout the Chumash. How? How were slaves wealthy? Because yeah. some some of the slaves even had slaves, right? Well, no, they were there were policemen there, and then there were Jewish couples like style. They were like in charge over the other but Jewish slaves. Some owned slaves, right? Um, no, it says over there. No, the Medrash says interesting. In the previous parsha, it says to them that when they will. Uh, somewhere before they can be freed, it says that the verse says that's from the Talmud Yerushalmi. I believe that they should free the slaves when they will own slaves. Then they can be free themselves. That if they know that they will free the slaves later on, that's when they can be freed also. But it's not talking about that they had slaves right then and there. Now, one thing was you know that the tribe of Levi wasn't enslaved, so maybe the tribe of Levi could have had. But here is talking about all the Jews in general. Uh, maybe they did have, I mean, but apparently, yeah, of course they did have, because the Pasuk says, but it's just interesting to point out that they said, they'll go with everybody. Okay, Sina, so what does he say in Pasuk 10? Pasuk uh, so he, Pharaoh, said to them, so may the Lord be with you, just as I will let you and your young children out. See that evil is before your eyes. Now, what does it mean when he sees that evil is before your eyes? What does it mean? So, 
you know, in the simple context, uh, evil before your eyes means that it's a bad thing that you're doing there, that you're that you're leaving, and um, in other words, you're not going to be, you know, you're going away. This is not not good for you. But it's an interesting uh, medrash Rashi brings down over here that there is a star whose name is Kochav, uh, uh, whose name is Ra. Uh, his name is Ra. That's the name of the star. And um, Pharaoh was saying that he sees in his stargazing that um, that that star is going to come up towards you, and that star has with it with it a sign of blood and killing. So he's basically telling them that there's going to be blood and killing. That's what he's basically telling them uh, with that star. So when he says Biro Ru Kira. Be careful because this raw yeah. is negative penechem is against you, right? So he doesn't. In, so he ends up only sending the men, right? No, that, no, he's not sending yet. He only agree. He only agreed to that. So what happens? No, okay. but my husband told. I think it was my husband. I'm trying to remember who told me yeah. this, that the Egyptians had different sacrifices and different things. So when they went out with animals, and do you, were you there for this? Oh. And, and they did their whatever. There was a lot of blood, and it was kind of gross. And they didn't send women and children for those sacrifices. And only men were allowed to do those. Oh, yeah. But when he asked to take them all, he got a little worried. Because, why are you taking the animals and the people? It doesn't go together that you take the women and children and the animals. Because when you take the animals, it's that sacrifice. Oh. You don't take the women and children. Okay, that, that's and a little bit later on. Yeah, that, yeah, no, that's the first you say that. But you know what? I just wanted to say, so I just wanted to finish what the Rashi says here. So it says over there that um, when Moshe Rabbeinu was praying to God, he also used the language, why should the Goyim say, what nation say, when, the, when Hashem says he's going to kill all the Jews in the, in the Midbar for the Eagle? He says, why should they say, that he took him out with the Ra. Ra is also a reference to that same star. Uh, and, and immediately Hashem sort of rescinded. Uh, and he said, okay, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Okay, why don't we just finish the next last verse? Uh, verse 11 who's saying uh, Ron not so let the men go now and worship the Lord for that uh, okay request and he chased them out from before Pharaoh so finally he did chase them out before Pharaoh and he didn't uh, let them go but I guess the main point over here is is the allowing and not allowing is sort of a uh, sort of at a different degrees at a certain level we don't allow somebody to do something but then on a deeper level, there is still uh, an ability to do, and the person is still held accountable for it.